You're listening to episode 54 of Daughters on Fire with Robin Arab and Melissa Burton. In today's episode, Robin and I do a little bit of a case consult. Robin has a client situation that we bounce some ideas around, and it all centers on the idea of when to go to a hospital. Now, in most cases, 911 emergency situations are obvious, but sometimes, especially as we get closer to end-of-life considerations, going to the hospital may not always be the best choice. So we dive in to when you should consider maybe alternatives like hospice instead of always going to the hospital in a crisis situation. So stay tuned as Robin and I discuss the pros and cons of hospital interventions as your loved ones really start to decline. Are you stressed, burned out, and looking for answers as you care for an aging parent? If you are, this podcast is for you. Here you will receive actionable advice from seasoned professionals, validation and compassion for the incredibly tough job you are doing, and most importantly, supportive love from a community of like-minded warriors. You're not alone. Join this powerful community as we support you on your complicated journey and help you transform into an empowered and calmer caregiver. All right. Welcome back. How's it going, Robin? It's all going great. But I do have some stuff I want to talk to you about today. I think it's been utmost on my mind. I've worked, I'm working with a client and he is going through a situation. He's a long distance caregiver. And I just really want to talk about what he's going through. And I think a lot of you can relate to it. And Melissa, I'd like for you and I to sort of bounce back opinions and maybe it's like a case consult. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It's right here. People can hear how social workers do case consultations with each other. Right. So this gentleman has been caring for his parents long distance for several years. I'm, I think this started back in, 2000, maybe 17, that he started caring for them long distance. Since uh, the ups and downs of his caregiving journey, his uh, mother has passed away. She passed away about a year ago. And his father is in a facility, which really interesting about this gentleman. We talk about nine lives and he's just not going to pass. And he had, he had been on hospice at one point for two years and they ended up taking him off because he continued to thrive and he is bedridden. So now he has had significant decline. The son is the power of attorney, sole power of attorney, the only child, only relative left. And he's dealing with all of this long distance. Add to that the pandemic so now he can't even get in to see his dad and check in to see what's going on. And so let me ask you real quick. Sure. What's the cognitive status of the dad? Um, he does have dementia. I'm not sure exactly um, if it's been diagnosed with a specific dementia, but a lot of it is just really his health. And my guess would be if it's anything, it's vascular dementia. So he's been in in the hospital, in the nursing home. And, you know, they get these calls, these automated calls all the time now about the pandemic and -and so-and-so has been tested positive. Well, other than that, he, when he calls, he doesn't get much of an answer, but he had submitted in writing to 
the facility, that there would be no heroic measures taken for his father, that if anything happened, he did not want to prolong his life. So fast forward to last week, early last week, he gets a call. Your father's been taken to the hospital because he has pneumonia. And once at the hospital, they diagnosed him with pneumonia and sepsis and put him on antibiotics, which folks, that's prolonging his life. So right now, number one, his desires have changed. They have... I mean, his knee, what he desired was ignored. So now the dad is in the hospital and they're not really sure what's going on. Of course, he can't go to the hospital either to see his dad. So he and I have talked and my recommendation was number one, you get him on hospice. And number two, you get him off the antibiotics because that's what your wish was. He is also, he's not on a ventilator, but he is on um, a BiPAP machine. So. He talks to the social worker. Social worker agrees. We're going to do hospice, but we're not going to do hospice until we send him back to the facility. Last night, late yesterday afternoon, 6 p.m. or so, he's sent back to the facility. No one has called my client. No one has communicated. He's repeatedly called them. Now, his hope is that with hospice, he will be able to get the end to see his dad and he can go down there and see him. But he has no idea what's going on. And it's just frustrating when you're long distance and, and you don't, I mean, how do you get an answer, Melissa, when they don't answer your call? What do you do? Yeah, that is so frustrating. And it brings up so many thoughts and situations I have seen even my own clients and their families go through. First, I want to point out, I was listening to this amazing presentation uh, by this woman who was an administrator, a healthcare administrator. And she said the statement that older adults and hospitals do not mix. And I was thinking that is so true. That is so true. Now we think, I mean, most of the healthcare is around older adults, right? Because they're the ones that need the most amount of healthcare. But when you go to emergency crisis situation, the triage, the information that you need, that getting them into that system, the ER, it's, it, it, it's so many times a recipe for a less than ideal outcome. They have, they're stressed. They are probably have lots of health issues that are overlaying each other. And all they're trying to do there is get quick answers. There are no quick answers when you have like 10 medications and five different health issues that you're managing. So it is so true that going to the hospital, also that stress, and if you think of dementia and they can't advocate for themselves, all these different layers of hospitals and elderly people don't mix. So why do we send them to the hospitals, especially when the family's made known that they don't want them, you know, they want like a DNR, they don't want them to go to the hospital? Here's why. And I had this conversation with the client I worked in a health, I worked in like a skilled nursing setting. So a nursing home environment. It was also rehab in nursing home. I worked on both those units. So what happens if you do not have, now a nursing home is a little bit different because you do have nurses and DNRs, but I'm not going to get into that mess. 
The scenario that I experienced with a client is the same thing. The family does not want any heroic measures for the loved one, but he's not yet on hospice. So what does that mean? Let's take the example you were giving. Pneumonia. Something happened that caused them to say he needs a higher level of care. So that floor nurse in an assisted living goes to see him. Maybe he was starting to become non-responsive. There were issues that were from her nursing license and her her nursing education and insight. She's like, this is no longer a good situation. So what is she going to do? If there's a DNR, I mean, that that nurse and that facility has to stay there and be like, we're not going to be giving any interventions. We're not going to give medical and like medication interventions because we don't have medication interventions. We're literally going to sit by and let this person suffer in place because they do not have anything in place to support his needs in that moment. So what do they do? Well, they call 911. And 911, same thing. Can the person be dealt with there in the facility and their needs be met? No. Okay, they're going to go to the ER. So that is why it is so very important as soon as it becomes, they become qualified and it makes sense that you go on to hospice. You go into hospice or palliative care. But I don't even know how aggressive palliative care would be in that situation. What I do know that if that nurse goes into the room and he's on hospice, and he's having maybe he's less responsive, maybe he's having a fever spike, something is indicating they need help, they would call hospice, hospice would come in, hospice would have access to a doctor to medicate immediately for symptom relief. So it's not necessarily that the son's wishes were not honored. It was, were they really fully capable in that moment to honor the son's wishes, even the dad's wishes, when they were not prepared to manage the symptoms or the issues that were coming up? I don't think the son would, he would have been torn. He's like, yeah, I don't want to go to the ER, but do I want my dad who's spiking a fever and maybe moaning and groaning and all these things not to be treated immediately with with care to help him have symptom relief. So that's why hospice is so vitally important. And that's like with this one client, you know, that we were talking through and she's like, well, yes, but we have, they know our wishes. And so, but she was like, no, I, I, I get it that like, even they, if they have a facility doctor that visits all the time, that doctor is probably not a victim available like 911 to come and triage immediately in house right there where they are but hospice is so they, luckily in fact just the other day she she texts me she's like dad's finally on hospice and it wasn't a sad thing we were like yay he's finally got has more wraparound care he will not get be at risk of falling through the cracks and ending up in the hospital situation And that's a similar conversation that I had with my client is we were relieved that they agreed that he could be on hospice. And, you know, back to the whole hospital and the the situation. And when my mother, the last time that she went into the hospital, no, not one of the last times she went in, I flew home and she had had, which many of you may or may not have heard about is hospital psychosis. And she kept getting up and down most of the night And finally, they kept her by the nurse's station because she kept trying to leave. 
But so this is the condition she's in. She has no idea what's going on. And I show up and there was a speech pathologist that came in. They were going to do a swallow test on her. He's reading through and he says, and and she's a full. Um, full code. Yes, full code. And I said, oh, no, she's not. And he said, well, she told us she was. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, number one, it's in your file. So read it. Number, And I just looked at him. I said, no, absolutely not. It's those little things that, like you said, Melissa, you're in a crisis mode. Nobody's stopping to look at anything. So if you don't have something out there that's showing do not resuscitate or something that somebody can get to, because, and we've talked about before, if you call 911, they have to unless they see that. But they're not going to transport you if they see that because that's but their duty. I'm curious. I mean, yeah, I don't think they, w- I, I think that's actually a gray area. They are not going to perform CPR. Right. But would they leave you there if your symptoms were not being managed? I don't know. You're right. It is a gray area. I would think that this gentleman was in a nursing. He was at, it wasn't assisted living. It was actually a nursing home. A nursing home. So I feel like that could have been maintained by calling the son and saying, this is what we need to do. And he should have stayed there and then brought hospice in. Right. So if that's the case, if they're a nursing home and the post form, which is the medical right, legal document, if he, he had a that. post form that said DNR, then that's actually more of a, like, they did not follow his wishes. That That is like, okay, they, like, okay. Yeah, he did have a post form. I forgot to say that, but yes, he did. That's what was signed. And he wrote that physically himself in addition to that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it gets lost. It gets lost in that tra- that transition or what's going on. And it could have been, you know, right now with nursing shortages and such, it could have been somebody who doesn't even work in the facility. It's all kinds of things. Right. That so, they didn't go and right. look at that. Mm-hmm. So you really have to, this is where your advocacy comes into place and you really have to make sure everybody knows you talk to them talk to everybody here, hear what's going on, make sure it's in the chart, do this and that. Because if you're not making your wishes known and anything of that nature, it's good, the same thing's going to happen. So now this man, you know, he, he spent a week in the hospital and now he's back to, to where he started and who knows, you know, next steps and the lack of communication between the facility and the sun. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's kind of two different issues. It sounds like that the facility is dropping the ball with the communication. But the um, one of the things that people can get ahead of on hospice is educating themselves on what hospice is out there and who they would go with. They don't have to necessarily qualify for you to get information and you to make a decision. Because if it's already on file, if you're in that fuzzy zone, well, I don't think they qualify yet, but you've met the hospice companies, you've vetted them, they have your information. They're like, okay, it's not time yet. Perfect. That means when it is time, you can give them a call and you can say, my dad's coming home. He'll be home tomorrow. He's qualifying now. There's a doctor that's going to sign off on it. Will you be there? And boom, it's ready to go. And you don't have to worry about in that moment choosing who you're going to trust to pick up the care in that moment. And another thing that's so gray and fuzzy and may have come into the situation here is that if his dad is not obviously way confused 
he's got some cognitive deficits, but if a hospital comes in, they may have just been communicating with him. Right. It's, it's really fuzzy. If you look by the law, if somebody's not incompetent, then they can make choices for themselves. Healthcare professionals all the time use their discretion on when to get other people involved and when to utilize the the power of attorney. And as a social worker and in the facilities, you can see that sometimes when they know the person and they know the family and they know what the wishes are, they'll be more liberal with utilizing the family's input. But when they're in a brand new situation, a hospital, if the individual appears to be able to make their choices and speak for themselves. The law is like, you go with what they want. Just like with your mom, you go with what they want. You write that in her chart. Well, and, and now it's, I think an additional confusion in that your regular doctor used to come to the hospital to see you and some of them still do, but for the most part, you have a hospitalist and he's not your everyday hospitalist because he has to have time off too. So you might have the same person coming in two or three days and then you don't see them again for two or three days. So you have one more person that is in the mix that is changing things, deciding things, not really knowing the whole history, the whole background of what's going on may not know past issues other than just reading something in a chart or to what extent they were handled and things like that. So that adds the confusion as well. And in normal times when you could get in there and the family could advocate, it may be, may have been much more helpful, but at this point our hands are tied a little bit. One thing I, I found very interesting in when you go to the hospital, a lot of times your loved one comes home and it seems like their medicines are off or things are confused or things are different. And we, when you go into a hospital situation, because they can buy things in bulk. So there's probably heart medicines and different medicines that they get cheaper if they buy it at a lower milligram. So you might be taking 20 milligrams of a pill at home and it's pink. Well, now you're in the hospital, they're giving you two little white 10 milligrams, which you're still getting the same medicine, but it looks different. And when you have an older person, especially a, a one with dementia, and they're used to taking that pink pill and the blue pill and the green pill, and now they see two white pills, two much bigger green pills or whatever, they refuse to take it. My mom... <coughs> And she did never never took pills well. And from the time she was a little girl, she would always tell us she would take these pills and hide them under her pillow if her mom would give her a pill. So we were in the hospital, and this is early on when she she still knew what was going on, but she argued that these were not the pills she took at home. She took those pills and put them under her pillow. Well, then she proceeds to go into congestive heart failure. And she shows me the pills. So I go out to get the nurse and then I come back in and I said, and she has hidden the pills Mm. and that I can still see that look my mother gave me like you betrayed me. Mm. And the nurse said, you know, advocated for me, but that's how simple just, and that wasn't long. It was probably 30 minutes and they had, she had it in her mind that this isn't what she should take. So she didn't. So things do look different in the hospital. Things you see different people 
everybody and their brother comes in and says, hey, I'm Robin. I'm the social worker. This is what I do. Well, they have, you walk out, number one, they don't know who you are. They don't know what you do. And probably by the next day, they don't remember you even came in. Yeah. So it's, it's just confusing all the way around. Absolutely. And the medication mess that is created. So you go in and you may or may not have a list of your medications going in. You may have just been able to say, here's the medications I'm on. So then they, they kind of figure it out, but then they put you on their formulary. And so you're right. What you were taking the pink name brand pill. Now you're taking the generic and it's, it comes in two pills instead of one. And it's a mess at the hospital. Well, imagine that then the doctor is tweaking your medications based on what you're taking at the hospital. So then when you're done with the hospital, they're writing you new prescriptions on all the new medications with their adjustments that you're taking at the hospital. If you don't understand that you can't just go back to your old meds, that you had a health situation, things were adjusted, and that you need to reconcile and you need to work with your doctor in order to say, okay, what needs to stay changed and what needs to go back to the wrong or the not wrong one, the old way you were taking it. I mean, it's it's it's, it's maddening just thinking about it, just talking about it. Like my blood pressure is going up. <laughs> and I'm thinking that you're and then you're talking about people who just as we age process slower, the information whether it's cognition or hearing or whatever, all of this is is just coming at you. And all you want to do is feel better, go home and go back to the way it was. Absolutely. And if you do go back to the way it was on those old medications, you may end up right back where you are. So staying out of the hospital, because even now, like you said, you don't even have somebody by your side in the middle of this pandemic to be the one to be like, you just go to, you know, rest, close your eyes, let me do the talking and, and sort this out for you. You do not need that stress on you. No, they don't even have that. So to be able to now during the pandemic or any time, avoid the hospitalizations as much as possible is huge. So whether that's hospice, whether that's just staying up with your doctors or having people like nurses checking in on you regularly to get ahead of, of a crisis. It's, it's huge. Cause a hospital it's maybe it'll fix things. Uh, maybe it will fix things and send you home with a new problem. <laughs> right. Well, and that's where, you know, we talk so much about advocacy and, and being there for your loved one. And that's, these are the times that you speak up that if you have a question or you misunderstood or you didn't get somebody's name, you know, make them stop, write it down or, I mean, obviously not in pandemic, or at this point, I think some people are allowed into the hospitals, but they cannot leave. So now let's just say you're the caregiver, you're in the hospital with your mom and your kids are getting off the bus. You have to make arrangements. Somebody's got to feed them. Somebody has to do it because you you cannot leave the hospital and come back, but you also need there be there to help your mom. So it's, it's back to that you're, you're burnout. I mean, this is something that can really send families over the edge. So you're right. If you can, whatever you do, speak up, make it right for your loved one, make it right for you. Make sure that you understand what's going on because your loved one may not. So just, I, I cannot say enough how important it is 
to pay attention to everything that's going on and ask for everything. You know, the, the next step is, Melissa, if you're not in the facility and now they come to you and say, okay, mom's being discharged um, tomorrow and the doctor wants her to go to rehab, here's a list and they hand you a list alphabetically of probably two to 300 facilities and you have no idea where to begin. Now, if that's not overwhelming, you know, I, I, I don't know what is. And, or like, I've had it where this was a family situation. I think it was a 90 year old woman had, was it hip replacement? And they wanted to discharge her home and they did discharge her home after surgery. Now, and I know the Medicare rules and all of this are changing, but I was like, that's ridiculous. She should have gone to rehab at least for a little bit, but that, you know, I've, I've been out of that world for so long that maybe the they don't, maybe there's reasonable reasons why they don't, but I was just shocked because she couldn't do anything for herself, but they knew she had her daughter that was going to take care of her. So a tip for anybody who is like, they are, their discharge plan is predicated on the fact that I think I'm going to be able to take care of everything. All you have to say is one, that's not your responsibility. Now I know morally, emotionally, you're like, yeah, that's my responsibility. But in the eyes of planning and the law, it's not your responsibility to move in with your loved one and be there round the clock care. So you can say these magic words in order to buy yourself more time and more support. It's an unsafe discharge plan. It's an unsafe discharge plan. They cannot, (laughs) they cannot set up an unsafe discharge plan. So don't, and also be honest with yourself. Like, yeah, okay. I could be there with mom for maybe 12 hours, but like, like you said, I have children at home. No, that means that they're discharging to an environment where they don't have the care and support that they need. Don't feel guilty that you are not providing the care and support they need. Let, don't let pride go before this fall. It's an unsafe discharge plan. Get the 100%. support you need. Now, I will say, I feel like in this, we need to have a little disclaimer. <laughs> Robin and I are in no way saying, do not go to the hospital. <laughs> the hospitals are there to, to take care of us and to, you know, do interventions and treatments and help us through crises and health scares and all of that. Utilize the hospital, but be informed and prepared to make sure that it's the best case scenario for your loved one. Absolutely. And, and that that's, you will know that you will absolutely know that because you've been taking care of this person and you know this person and their health better than anybody else in that room. Yep. All right. Anything else, Robin? Any other amazing parting tips for us? <laughs> well, I will tell you that I just got a um, text for the from my client and said that... Uh, this, this is just so typical that the discharge orders to the facility was for him to start physical therapy and <laughs> occupational therapy. No. Okay. So for Robin and I are laughing, but for those of you who don't understand what that means, that is not hospice. <laughs> that is not hospice care. 
That is, uh, I'm going to get stronger and better care. Unreal. So, uh, but it did start out with that the facility has agreed to bring hospice in. So there will be a, a nice dignified um, situation going on there for the gentleman and his family, but uh, just, just so typical. Okay. Last parting thought. Just remember that healthcare workers and doctors in white coats are human. Because that right there, what that reads to me is that whoever was writing the order didn't realize you can't have hospice and PT and OT all together. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I laugh, but a lot, they don't understand. A lot of doctors do not understand hospice. Mm-hmm. So... Or nurses to some degree. Nurses probably more so than doctors, but honestly, it it is. It they're human and they make mistakes, and that's why you've got to be on top of this. Yeah. So sometimes your best ally in the hospital is maybe definitely the doctors, but the nurses that know what's going on while you're there, and then the discharge planners that are your bridge to where you're going. They do know about resources and about what's the difference between hospice and PT and OT. So lot lot of inside scoop. And so everybody out there in our Fire Tribe community, just know that we are here to help you navigate through this. If you ever have a situation, a question, and you would like Robin and I to talk about it on our podcast, shoot us an email at melissa at daughtersonfire.com or robin at daughtersonfire.com and be sure to visit us in our Facebook group as well. And I won't steal your line, Robin. Go ahead. Until next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and ask that you subscribe to this podcast. If you find this podcast helpful, please leave a review so we can reach more women like you. You are not alone on your journey and the Fire Tribe is here to support you. Check us out at daughtersonfire.com and our Facebook group for more support and resources. Until next time, remember, you are the fire that fuels the engine of life.